Welcome to the Perimenopausal Mamas podcast for hormonal mamas who want to reclaim their own natural state of health to thrive and raise healthy kids. I'm Dr. Lisa Weeks, naturopathic doctor in Toronto, Canada, and I'm a perimenopausal mama to my little boy named Stuart. And I'm Dr. Tony Reed, naturopathic doctor, birth doula, and hypnobirthing educator in Calgary, Canada, and I'm a perimenopausal mama to my little girl, Frankie. Thanks for supporting us for the past 100 episodes. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also support us by visiting our Patreon page, where you can find out how you can join us for our monthly patron webinar, where we do a deeper dive discussion about all things perimenopause. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not meant to substitute professional medical advice. Always consult with your licensed healthcare provider. Welcome back, everyone, to the Perimenopausal Mamas podcast. It's Dr. Lisa again, this time with Dr. Tony. We've had a few guests, but I'm so excited to be here with you, Tony. Hi, Lisa. Good to be with you again. And we're going to talk today about unknown nutrition mess ups, things that you might not realize you're missing in your daily eating patterns, things you might not realize are having an impact on you, but are through perimenopause and menopause. And this is going to be part one of two parts. It's a great way to just look at what you're putting into your body being aware of what's in it and how it may be influencing those pesky perimenopausal symptoms like worsening your hot flashes or contributing to the fatigue or the brain fog. And we're even going to talk about ways to help prevent disease risk as well using food. We're not going to get too much into supplements today. So are we ready to jump in, Tony? Absolutely. I'm so glad we're talking about this today because, you know, often Uh, During summer, people's kind of routines get a little thrown off. And I think it's this is just a great thing to just kind of review to just kind of see, okay, what are you doing right now during summer? What are you doing on a regular basis? And, you know, can we be using our food more to the benefit of our hormones? Exactly. So you still want to enjoy, you know, that ice cream cone and that iced latte. But let's also set some foundational pieces where you're nourishing yourself other times of the day. Like I just came back from vacation and I enjoyed myself, but I tried to keep up, you know, eating a high protein breakfast, which brings us to point number one. So many women do not get enough protein, um, even in, you know, their 20s, 30s, 40s, because the standard American diet is pretty carb heavy, especially for breakfast, right? That's usually the meal that's lacking the most. Number second would be lunch. Snacks also tend to be lower in protein. Um, Many people get enough protein at dinner because they'll have their piece of fish or chicken or beans and legumes, etc. But we want to make sure we're getting enough. Um, And we've talked about this before, because as we age, and our hormones are shifting and eventually declining, especially 
estrogen and testosterone, those anabolic, like those muscle building hormones and bone building hormones. Um, we have what's called sarcopenia. And it sounds pretty scary. But if we break it down, sarco is muscle, penia is wasting. So as we get older, and our hormones are changing, we have a harder time building muscle. And doesn't mean, you know, we're not going to be that bodybuilder. And that's just, you know, the only negative effect. No, we don't want to necessarily, you know, you don't necessarily have to be ripped. Um, but we want to make sure you have muscle mass to support your posture, to support your balance and stability, to prevent falls, to even have the strong musculature between the ribs, because as we get into our 70s, 80s, and 90s, if we get sick with something like pneumonia or a virus, a lot of times they can't clear it out because there's not that musculature to breathe properly, to cough it out, if you will. Things kind of settle in the lungs. So we want to be proactive now about building and maintaining muscle through getting enough protein, through getting in strength training um, to prevent the declines. They are naturally going to happen with age, but why not? start now. So at least you have something in your muscle bank account. So you can slowly deplete it without going bankrupt. Um, so Tony, we've talked about this before, a good number to aim for in how much protein you want to get in a day um, is 1.2 grams of protein to 1.5 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. So let's say you weigh 165 pounds, that's 75 kilograms. So if you took your weight in kilograms, times it by 1.2 to get the lower number of the range of protein you want to get it, get in, and then also times that 75 or your weight in kilograms by 1.5 to get the upper range range of the amount of protein per day. Um, if you were that 75 kilograms, that would look like 90 to 112.5 grams of protein per day. And Tony, I'm not sure about your patients, but I see a lot of patients get 40, 50, 60 grams of protein per day, because they might be getting 20 to 30 grams with dinner, maybe 10, 20 with lunch, maybe 5, 10 grams with a snack, maybe the same with breakfast. Um, but it can be hard to get that amount, right, Tony? Oh, absolutely. And like you said, Lisa, a lot of people aren't getting a lot of protein first thing in the morning. And so then when you're, you know, trying to, to get all of that protein in, you know, later in the day, you can only do so much. And, and that's where, you know, like you said, really starting off your day and and making sure that you are looking at you know I usually recommend getting uh, aiming for at least you know 25 grams of protein kind of first thing in the morning and that can you know look different depending on you know what exactly you're eating um and you know looking at different protein sources again whether it's animal based or whether it's plant based so that could mean you know a couple of eggs in the morning it could mean a piece of meat or just really loading in um some nuts and seeds whether it's you know hemp seeds or chia seeds um, uh, you know, almonds, walnuts, um, you can look even at, you know, um, beverages that have protein, whether it's protein powder, or, you know, having some dairy. Uh, so, it, you know, it can really vary, but, and, you know, it adds up 
And you really need to be conscious and mindful of it, you know, with each, um, with each meal, with each snack, um, and, and, you know, really looking at adding up because, again, it's, it's just something that can be really missed so often. Mm-hmm. And I find when people aren't getting enough, they feel ravenous, like the whole day, they just don't feel like their body's getting what it needs. And they tend to reach for carbohydrates or quicker source sugar for energy. But if they bump up their protein, especially earlier in the day, they find they're more satiated and not having some of those cravings. Um, so not only does it help with our muscle mass, but it helps with our body composition our metabolism, us feeling fuller and making better choices and listening to our body uh, more effectively later in the day. Um, So it has a whole host of benefits and and the amino acids and protein are building blocks for, you know, hormones and so many substances in our body um, that we need to make sure we're getting enough. So that when you see your naturopathic doctor, there's different ways to track it based on, you know, kind of your comfort level and your, you know, eating and nutrition history. But at the very least, you can just, if you have food that's in a label, look at the label, Um, you know, an egg might be six to eight grams of protein, you know, protein powders are pretty obvious, you can get a smoothie, or I like smoothie bowls, where you're adding in, you know, some actual like whole foods into it, mixing a base um, with some coconut yogurt and protein powder and soy milk and topping it with some fruit if you want some seeds or nuts. Um, But there's so many different ways to get it in. So that's number one is looking at how much protein you're getting. Um, There's so many great ways out there to bump it up that tastes really good. And you just almost kind of hinted, Lisa, at number two, you know, the the second thing to really watch in terms of a mess up that you may not know that you're, you're doing that could be influencing your hormones is actually a fear of soy. So often, um, I, I think it's almost every day I have at least one patient saying, well, you know, is soy good? Is soy bad? I should avoid soy, right? And and again, and then it, it comes into a conversation because there's no like yes or no. It is about, you know, looking at, well, what do we mean by soy? And you know, what would be, you know, the harm in, in eating it or the harm in not eating it. And, and, you know, to start off, we do know there's a lot of research that has shown the benefits of taking in soy in some form. Um, There's been um, research showing the benefits of your brain health, your cognition, how your brain functions. Um, You know, that was done over 12 weeks with a soy supplement or, or again, protein. So that's been um, absolutely demonstrated by research. We know that there's a reduction in, uh, you know, deaths from cardiovascular disease with a fermented soy. So, and that even gets into a little bit of, you know, what do you look for when you have soy? I don't, I'm not necessarily a fan of, you know, like veggie ground round or like soy hot dogs or soy burgers or that kind of thing. But if you look at traditional forms of soy, um, and especially, you know, looking at fermented soy in this uh, study around cardiovascular disease, they use miso and natto. 
which are again, traditional forms of soy. So um, I definitely kind of look at recommending those more often. There's also been, you know, people who have a higher intake of soy, it's associated with a reduced risk of cancer of ovaries, prostate, stomach, colon, lung, and breast. And also we, a big one, a really important one when going through perimenopause and menopause is when you're dealing with hot flashes. There's research, uh, and we've definitely talked about this, Lisa, before, where um, the soybean isoflavones, uh, the uh, kind of antioxidant qualities of soy, has been shown to reduce um, the frequency and severity of hot flashes in perimenopausal and postmenopausal women. And again, it's not just you, you know, you take it and, and it alleviates your hot flash, you know, you do need to be doing it regularly and that's, and, and eating it um, daily. And that's where it can take, you know, uh, three months to see uh, a benefit um, and even higher benefit over four months or even longer. Yeah, so you want to commit. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> and again, so you know, what are what are the source so, uh, you know sources of soy that I typically recommend? Is I will recommend you know miso, um, whether it's you know miso soup or or using miso in sauces, um, using tofu. Um, and again, you can, you can have a little bit of soy milk here and there. I typically will recommend people kind of, um, you know, alternating different forms of, of non-dairy milk, but there's a number of different ways that you can get in that soy product. There's also different fermented soy, you know, protein powders as well that you could, you can use. And you don't need to have, you know, a ton of soy. It doesn't have to be the source of all of your protein in a day. In fact, it's interesting because um, smaller doses of soy was was shown to have a higher benefit than uh, more benefit than higher doses of of the soy. And it's really those those phytoestrogens that are there. And and so yes, there's estrogenic activity to soy, um, and it, the, those phytoestrogens are different than slightly different than the estrogen that we produce. The way I think of it is it's, again, it's a weaker form of estrogen. So it takes a place in your estrogen receptor that can, re- you know, bump out a stronger estrogen from taking hold, especially, you know, an estrogen mimicking chemical or a xenoestrogen, which can really um uh, bump up and 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 really over uh, over stimulate that receptor um and uh, and potentially uh, you know look at uh, really uh, stimulating more of that cancerous process that happens when it comes to hormone dependent cancers so definitely uh, and that's why soy and the components of the phytoestrogens in soy has been shown to reduce those risks of those hormone dependent cancers yeah, so a lot of people are probably surprised by that, right? Because they think soy and breast yeah. cancer, these other types of cancers, but it's actually been shown to be beneficial and help um, prevent it. So it's a great way you explained it that way, Tony. Mm-hmm. Um, and de- getting organic, non-GMO soy is ideal, right? So it hasn't been processed, sprayed with pesticides, 
because soy is highly sprayed um, with pesticides and that can have negative effects if it's modified, you know, how is it working in our body? Um, so we've been getting the organic soy milk and I like, yeah, people mixing up the types of milks they're having too, because you get different benefits from the non-dairy milks as well. Um, and soy has also been shown to have benefit on depression and anxiety. So not only cognitive function, but may impact your mood positively. But yes, some people are have a food sensitivity or an allergy to soy. So if you're a person who eats soy and your eczema gets worse, you have gas or bloating or GI issues or other types of skin rashes or symptoms, you're probably not going to want to include it in your diet. But that's why it's a not, yes, everybody have it, but there definitely are benefits to it. But people can be sensitive to it because it is in so many um, food products out there in so many different forms including you can get soy milk added to this is our number three nutritional mess up is in drinking your calories right if you go to Starbucks you could get soy milk in there but not a lot of people are aware about the amounts of carbs and sugars and standard drinks you're consuming on a regular basis and you know you want to have those once in a while and enjoy them but be aware about what you're putting into your body because a lot of people are drinking calories and grams of sugar that they're not really realizing are adding up in huge ways that might not only increase, you know, how you feel in your body if you have skin rashes or brain fog or sugar crashes later, but also on your weight and your sleep and all of those things. So, you know, pick the drinks you want to have, be aware about what's in them, and then be intentional about when you're going to drink it. So, um, as some examples, so if you go to Starbucks and you get a Tazo chai tea latte, which is pretty popular, a tall one with whole milk as 194 calories, almost 33 grams of carbs and 31 grams of sugar, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh -huh. And then if you get that same tall Tazo chai tea latte with soy, um, you have 161 um, calories, 30, 30 grams of carbs and 27 grams of sugar. So just being aware, right, um, can make a huge difference. And there may be people out there who are like, well, I don't get a chai tea latte. Well, if you get a Frappuccino blended coffee, and, and again, this example is from Starbucks, where if you get a grande, there's 239 calories in there. There's, um, again, 47.8 grams of carbs and 40.5 grams of sugar. Wow. And 110 milligrams of caffeine. We talked about caffeine in another episode. So. <laughs> so just, you know, being aware and then just seeing how do you feel when you have it and maybe you, you know, enjoy it. Maybe you don't feel so good after, but you're like, you know, it's worth it once in a while, but just having that intention and awareness is so key. I think people realize, you know, alcohol and Coke, you know, is pretty high. It's about 7.25 teaspoons of sugar in a can of Coke. A can of Red Bull is 5.35 teaspoons but not a, lot of people, not a lot of people realize how much is in their juice too like one cup of orange juice can have five to six teaspoons so you know if you, you want to make your water taste a little more interesting maybe you dilute a little bit of juice in there but not drinking it you know a hundred 
100% straight. And we know alcohol is a source of sugar. Cider can be insane how high it is in sugar. So check the label. It can be anywhere from two to five teaspoons. Um, a sweet dessert wine, two to three ounces can have up to seven teaspoons of sugar. Um, so not only, you know, we want to be aware of what we're putting in our body, just so how we feel, but we know having alcohol, having caffeine can worsen hot flashes, impact our sleep, which can be already challenged in perimenopause and menopause. And even with our skin, right? Some people do get breakouts with more sugar, with more alcohol, rosacea can be worsened, which is becoming more common um, in people I'm finding. So um, number three, just look at what you're drinking. Yeah. And I mean, we're not saying don't drink anything because next, uh, you know, number four, it's really important to stay hydrated, especially during the summer. And it's something that's really key is to really pay attention to the cues from your body. Um, because if you're not drinking enough, you may start to really confuse thirst with hunger. And again, especially, you know, we don't necessarily want to be drinking all of our calories and getting those, you know, uh, calories that aren't nutrient dense, but you don't want to just then switch to eating food because you're kind of confusing those cues. Um, you know, it, and so it is about looking at what you're drinking. So yes, like water is important. And then again, we'll talk about ways to make water more exciting to drink as well. But if you're not getting enough of that water, again, you can feel more hungry, you may feel more sluggish, more tired. Um, Some people will have more dry skin, and even it can impact your digestive system. There are some people who are on the more constipated side. And I mean, I have patients all the time who say this, where they're more regular when they're more intentional and conscious about drinking enough water. So again, it's important. It's a a really key piece uh, to allow for our body to do what it needs to do for our hormones and our enzymes to do what it needs to do. So then the question is, well, how much do you need to drink? And uh, a nice really kind of rule of thumb is to drink half of your body weight in pounds in ounces. So if you uh, weigh about 70 kilograms, that's about 154 pounds, that's 77 ounces, that is about 2.3 liters of fluid. And so I definitely recommend um, water. And that's where again, does it have to be just straight water? No, Uh, at least that's my rule. Is that your rule too, Lisa? That is, it's my rule. Yeah. So if there's caffeine, it doesn't count. We can talk no. about that. But yeah, straight. It doesn't have to be straight water. You can make it interesting. Yeah. And, and so again, it can be, um, you know, maybe water with a splash of juice, water with a splash of fruit, um, you know, lemon or cucumber. Um, it can even be a herbal tea. We are big fans of herbal tea, of course, on the podcast. So, you know, whether it's ginger, again, I've been having a, I'm on a hibiscus kick. Um, so again, that can be um, really helpful. And and again, you are going to get more fluid too from different types of food. 
fruit and vegetable will also have more fluid in them. Um, you know, having soups, having salads, that is, that's going to have more water content um, than, you know, something dry, like, you know, a piece of bread or, or something like that. So uh, again, that's something to keep in mind as well. And again, it is about uh, having that habit. So oftentimes I will, I'll do this myself and I'll recommend like having a big glass of water first thing when you get up. That's a great way of just starting the day with more hydration so that you're not trying to get it further um, you know, closer to bed. Some people will use an elastic band around, you know, their wrist, uh, you know, where, where they, you know, switch the wrist every time they have a glass of water or, you know, um, hydrate somehow. There's also even different apps. There's the waterlogged app, there's the waterminder app. So those apps can be really nice reminders. Um, and of course, we've talked before, Lisa, about, you know, pairing activities. So, you know, uh, again, it, it is one of those things where, you know, making sure that you're drinking while you're doing things, having um, a mug or a glass on your desk or making sure that you're carrying around a water bottle so that you're drinking while you're driving to, you know, um, to work or driving home. It is best to be drinking in between meals so that you're not diluting your stomach acid when you're eating. Um, so again, having, you know, some of those reminders and, and pairing with different activities between meals um, can be uh, just make you more successful. All great recommendations, Tony. And I, I'm loving um, electrolyte powders too, like the BioSteel or the Ultima Hydration Replenisher. Yeah, I definitely love herbal teas. Gatorade just came out with what's called a G-Fit. So it's way better than their standard Gatorade. There's nothing artificial in it and it's just sweetened with a little bit of fruit juice. So there's hardly any sugar in there and it's natural um, color in there. So um, those can be hydrating. I find they're even too sweet for me, even if it's sweetened with stevia. So I usually put a little less than they recommend if I'm using the powder or if I've bought one in a bottle or a jar, I just dilute it with a bit of water or sparkling water. And that can be um, so refreshing as well. So there's so many great ways to get it in. And yep, like Tony said, pairing it with things is really important. There's so many ways, even water challenges now are becoming popular in various workplaces. So sign up for one if your work is offering that. Um, so we talked about, you know, a few things here, but the next one is more of a timing um, mess up. So um, I've been guilty of this in the past, but I felt way better when I stopped doing this. And this is eating or drinking something other than herbal tea or water too close to bedtime. So it's good to have about two, three hours from when you last ate. You know, you're probably going to sip on water and herbal tea. I drink smaller amounts in the evening. I might drink half a mug of herbal tea if I'm worried about getting up to urinate. But giving yourself that two to three hour window allows you to digest and, you know, digest the food, you know, absorb the water, use it, urinate it out before you go to bed so you can sleep better. 
But if we're especially eating or drinking calorie rich um, drinks or alcohol close to bedtime, our body temperature goes up. And we've talked about this before, where your body temperature needs to drop by about 0.5 to 1 degree Celsius for you to have the best sleep and release the optimal levels of melatonin. And if you think about it, it makes sense because if you're putting food right in your body or drinks that your body has to process before bed, it's working on digestion as opposed to helping your body rest and heal and repair where during the nighttime, you know, we do have that recovery from exercise. We repair the muscles that were you know, in quotes, damage from exercise, which is what happens. Um, we release growth hormones so our body can rebuild itself too and help kind of reverse some of the damage just through general wear and tear and general metabolism. So it can be a game changer for a lot of people, um, making sure though you are getting enough protein with dinner, you're eating, you know, the enough protein and food in the day, because some people might have low blood sugar, and they can't fall asleep, but that can be something addressed with your naturopathic doctor. And then from a Chinese medicine perspective, if we eat too close to bed, we can't digest food properly, and we get what's called a spleen chi deficiency. So you wake up in the morning and you have loose stools because things kind of just went right through you. So that can be hard on the spleen, which is one of the digestive organs in Chinese medicine. And then if you're someone who suffers from reflux or heartburn or indigestion, I don't need to tell you eating too <laughs> close to bed is not a good idea. You're going to need to prop yourself up or you might suffer from um, some more severe symptoms. And then we've talked about triggers for hot flashes, right? So if you're having spicy food, I find, yeah, if I have really spicy food or food that's really um, like cooked and warming, maybe heavier on, you know, too much protein or meat, sometimes I feel warmer and I have more hot flashes at night. Other people, if they have dessert at night, which I, I rarely do because I know the chocolate, the sugar, I'm going to feel hot. I'm going to get more hot flashes. I'm going to have a terrible sleep, I'm probably going to toss and turn and dream a bit more. And I don't have alcohol, but I'm sure people can tell you, you know, and you know yourself what happens, even if you have a glass or two, um, you're messing up your sleep stages, you might not be getting into REM more effectively. It's basically like a sedative. So it's not actually getting true great sleep. Yes, you might be knocked out right away from it, but you might wake up too early and not go through all the sleep stages appropriately the way you're supposed to. And that's definitely what happens to me, Lisa, is, you know, when, um, when I choose to even have a, a glass or two of wine or, you know, a cider or a cocktail or something, then I, I'm always kind of keeping in mind, like, okay, this might completely throw off my sleep and this might have me feel more hot and have more hot flashes and and so it's definitely something to really keep in mind it is and we've seen with you know health trackers like the aura ring apple watches your heart rate variability is lower which is you want heart rate variability to be higher it's different than heart rate we can track to information on that but it talks about sleep quality you know your state for the day if you're ready to approach the day and challenges and harder workouts so with alcohol that number goes down which is a bad thing so it means you're not as set up for a good day as if it's higher yeah. And I've also found that when I have 
eaten too close to bed sometimes that um, then when I'm checking my aura ring the next day, it shows that my heart rate slowed down later in the night. So I'm not recovering as well from my sleep. My sleep isn't as restful and rejuvenating um, as it would have been if I wouldn't have eaten, you know, you know, two hours before bed. So Exactly. So it's good to be aware. Sometimes it might be worth it. You have that glass of Prosecco or champagne. It's a celebration, but just knowing how you might feel and navigating that the next day or deciding if it's worth it or not. So this is part one of two of the unknown nutritional mess ups you might be making in perimenopause and menopause. Uh, we'll, we'll cover about five or six more in the next episode. Um, but Tony, should we move to the next part of the podcast? Yeah, absolutely, Lisa. Um, how about sharing a super mom moment with us? Sure. Yeah. So um, I've been like a stickler for my morning routine, almost to my detriment. So I'm an upholder <laughs> for the most part, maybe a bit of a rebel from Gretchen Rubin's The Four Tendencies. And we talked about this in another episode. Um, so if I say I'm going to do something, I do it and I stick to it. But sometimes I do it when it doesn't make sense, like when I'm on vacation and I don't have to get up as early. So I'm starting to let that go a bit because I'm realizing I need a little bit more rest. The trackers are telling my sleep trackers like the aura ring and the sleep cycle app are telling me I'm not getting enough of the REM sleep that happens like early in the morning and I could get in half an hour or more sleep so I'm really trying to let myself sleep in a bit and I've mixed it up so I'm actually showering at night now and I might do like a quick in the sink you know over the sink body wash in the morning Um, but I'm saving time in that way and I might have a little bit of a shorter workout or a shorter stretch after my workout in the morning but I'm realizing I just really need my sleep right now and I'm still getting in you know my morning routine but I've just modified the shower time and the length of time for those and I'm feeling a huge difference and I plan to stick with that over the summer because the schedule is a bit more relaxed we don't have to get Stuart out as early in the morning so that's my super mom moment just looking at your your routines and your schedules and yeah a lot of times they serve us but sometimes they exhaust us so what can you do to press the easy button make it simple still do what's going to make you feel good but not overdo it I love that, Lisa. And I mean, that really fits with the fact that, you know, you may have a routine that works or kind of a schedule that works. And it doesn't mean that it works all the time. We have, you know, different seasons, different cycles of things, and you really paying attention to your body. And again, having that, you know, extra objective information of a tracker is helps. And and again, you're listening to it and, and making the adjustments and taking care of yourself. I love that, Lisa. Nice. Thank you. Did you want to share a super moment, moment Tony? Why don't I save a super mom moment for next episode, Lisa? Because I definitely have a mama mess up for today. Sure. What's that, Tony? (laughs) You know, um, I have people reaching out to me and saying, wait a minute, we've, we've heard this news about some changes that are happening in the supplement industry in Canada. What's happening? Is this, is this real? Is this something I need to be worried about? And 
I don't, I haven't had an answer for them yet because I haven't actually kept up with, you know, being in the loop around what is going on with some of the proposed changes into the supplement industry through Health Canada. And so, um, yeah, that's a bit of a a mess up because I'm just like, I have no, I'm not quite sure. And it's like, okay, I need to take some time to um, really educate myself about this. So I have um, an answer and so there you go. That's my mama mess up. Well, I could jump in. So I was feeling like that was a mess up of mine too. So since I was on vacation, one of the mornings, I was just looking up information on it because I'm seeing more and more health influencers post about it. I'm getting more emails about it. Um, and I'm like, wait a minute, this is a big deal because yes, we want natural health products, also known as NHPs, to be safe. And they already are regulated in Canada. A lot of these products will have to have a natural health product number um, on them. And there is actually a Health Canada website that has all what's called the monographs of supplements, herbs, and vitamins. So you can look up, you know, different studies on certain adverse effects, on the benefits, what people are allowed, what companies are allowed to put on labels and what they have to put on labels. So we already are fairly tightly regulated, but now there's um, this push for um, a bill to be passed so that we follow the same guidelines and regulations as pharmaceutical companies and the supplement companies are required required to pay for this increased stringency. There's two kind of major changes coming in at the same time, which is a really um, cost prohibitive for these companies. And it means a lot of them are probably not going to sell their products in Canada. They're going to have fewer products and the ones that are sold, the prices are going to be a lot higher. So it's going to restrict access to supplements and herbs and vitamins out there. Um, I am all for safety and supplements. And I always tell patients in the public, you know, just because it's on the health food store counter or shelf um, doesn't mean it's safe for you and that there are no adverse effects. But even Health Canada has said that they do recognize supplements are generally recognized as safe. That's what they stand for GRAS. And they typically have less adverse effects than pharmaceuticals, but we're being put under the same guidelines and oversight as the pharmaceutical companies, which have billions of dollars. So I think there's a happy medium to keep things um, safe and reporting adverse events without losing access to products and the price going up. So the other change is the label requirements, which are actually going to require that there's so much more information on the label that the bottles are going to get bigger for the same number of pills or the same amount of powder. Um, So that's going to increase costs, not only to the consumer, but to the environment in terms of fuel and plastics and everything that goes along with it. Um, So it is actually pretty worrisome, but there is something that we can do. So we can go to saveoursupplements.ca and there's a pre kind of made email that you can send to your MP, your member of parliament. You just type in your, you fill in kind of the spots that individualize it to you. Um, And there's different ways to get involved. If you go to the saveoursupplements.ca, there's more information there resources, and how you can help. But um, I am for more safety. But this in the end, I think will translate into less people taking supplements, which have proven benefits as we've gone through so many times in our various podcast episodes. Of course, you want to 
consult with your healthcare practitioner to make sure they're safe with your medications or your health conditions, or you're not taking things that interact. But um, but people are going to start to look for products online overseas, you know, on Amazon when they're being shipped from outside of Canada. And these products are not going to be regulated. We don't know if what's in them, what it says on the label is actually in them. Is there harmful ingredients in there? Have they expired? Um, they, they are not going to have those NHP numbers. So it's kind of scary, right, Tony? I was freaking out a little bit about it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be huge if this bill is passed. Yeah. And and really, it's it's uh, it, I just find it so strange, Lisa, because, you know, like you said, like we already have... Um, a really fantastic regulatory system in place here in Canada for supplements. It just seems like just really um, unnecessary overreach. Um, and and again, absolutely, I'm all for safety, but just this this level doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this just might have the opposite effect, unfortunately. So everybody go to saveoursupplements.ca, send the note to your MP, share the website and the information. There's pre-made, I think, posts on their website that you can share with your followers, email your friends, your email list, just get the word out before it's too late. I think the dis- I think all the everything has to be in by the end of July. So right now we're July 10th. There's not that much time. Absolutely. So uh, we'll have a link in the show notes. So go there. And now, Lisa, what is your mama must have for this week? Oh, yes. So talking about hydration. So I, I love coffee, but I can only have decaf because I'm a slow metabolizer and I get the jitters. But I've been making um, some coffee using a Hario and boiled water with the ethical bean decaf coffee beans. I like the whole bean ones and I grind them up. I let it cool on the counter. I make a big batch and then I put it in a glass jar in the fridge. And then when I feel like it, I serve a little bit out into one of my stainless steel mugs. I add a scoop or half a scoop of the Designs for Health Paleo Protein Powder, which has chocolate flavor in it. It's sweetened with stevia. Um, I froth it up with my milk frother. So it mixes really well. I add in a bit of um, non-dairy milk, sometimes soy milk, sometimes almond milk, sometimes something else. I mix it with the milk frother. I add ice and I have my um, caffeine free, I guess, like mocha, coffee, iced frappuccino, whatever you want to call it. And it's delicious. So it's so a way to get in protein, a bit of hydration. And I really enjoy the taste. Oh, that sounds delicious, Lisa. <laughs> and what's your mama must have, Tony? It's so funny because I'm thinking about hydration too. Um, and my mama must have is definitely to, you know, to have a nice electrolyte mix. And again, you already mentioned this earlier in the episode, Lisa, um, you know, to really, uh, it's really important to not only get enough water, but also, you know, get in those electrolytes, get in, in those minerals to really help with hydration. And you don't want to be just, you know, getting in any old um, electrolyte mix that has like artificial sweeteners or sugars or, you know, artificial colors. So, um, and it's, you know, even to whether you use the full 
amount that's recommended on like a powder of electrolyte mix, or even whether you just have a little dash in some water, it's just a little bit more uh, for me, I find that like thirst quenching and satisfying to do that. And especially if you um, get an electrolyte mix that does have a little bit of, again, natural flavor, and even whether it's a small amount of sugar or sweetened with stevia or xylitol or something like that, again, that can sometimes just be more pleasant to drink than plain water. Um, I'm, uh, I've been definitely, um, a fan of the designs for health electrolyte mix and there's a Vita Aid electrolyte mix. Um, sometimes I'll reach for uh, the Vega electrolyte mix, but, and then you mentioned, Again, BioSteel, I haven't tried BioSteel yet, Lisa. And I mean, it's nice to know that there's kind of a healthier version of Gatorade that's out there as well. Yeah, it's great if you can get the powdered form in a big canister. So then it's saving the environment too, but they do sell the individual mixed up drinks already. So yeah. yeah and if and if you get the powder, then again, you get to control how strong it is, how much you use, um, and what you mix it with too. So exactly. They're so tasty. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Stay hydrated. And then let me show you what else, share with everyone what else is happening. Um, For me, my next hypnobirthing session for expecting parents is looking to decrease fear and anxiety and to support their natural instincts around labor and birth is happening later in the fall. So you can join me at hypnobirthingcalgary.com slash register. And Dr. Lisa is also taking a bit of a break over the summer. She's going to have more events happening in the fall. So stay tuned. And thanks for listening, everyone. You can find our show notes at perimenopausalmoms.com. You can email us and connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. We would love for you to subscribe. Leave us a review and a five-star rating if you enjoyed this episode. That helps, you know, support us and have people find us. You can tell your perimenopausal mama friends about us too. And you can support us by visiting our Patreon page. So stay safe and healthy, everyone. 